Hi, I'm Stacy. I love talking about how to know and live out God's callings in our lives, preferably cozied up with steaming beverages in comfy armchairs. You can head to my website, stacysummero.com for more on discernment. That's S-T-A-C-E-Y-S-U-M-E-R-E-A-U.com. Good afternoon or morning or whatever time of day you're listening to this with my voice in your speakers. <laughs> Today, my poor little one-year-old, Raphael, he fell on the wooden floor and he somehow sliced his ear on this chair. It was ridiculous. And he had to get four stitches. Poor little guy. He screamed for probably like half an hour, but it felt like, I don't know, four hours to me. So I'm feeling a little bit loopy tonight as we record this, but we are well, all is well. Thank God. So today, for the first time, we have a sponsor for Called and Caffeinated, and it is Serving the Aged Lovingly Today Mission Program, which we abbreviate as SALT. For the last five years, SALT has been connecting young women ages 18 through 40 alongside the Carmelite Sisters for the Aged and Infirm. This is my fifth year being the coordinator for SALT because I work for the Carmelite Sisters, and I can tell you with total certainty that this program changes lives. This year, we have two opportunities, West Palm Beach in March, I mean, who doesn't want spring break in Florida, and Chicago in July. The deadline to apply for the Florida program is coming right up, so do check out the website ASAP, which is www.carmelitesisters.com slash salt dash program. Or you can click on the link in the show notes to get right to our little webpage. The program is entirely free of charge, and it is a wonderful opportunity to discern religious life or just to serve the elderly and grow in your personal relationships. Get in touch with me and come serve with salt in 2019. Alrighty. I have been dying to share my vocational discernment journey with you guys, and today is the day. In case you can't tell, I'm a very type A person. So this episode is geared especially toward those friends of mine who struggle to let God have control or who freak out when they can't deal with floating in a sea of voices in their heads and not being able to be sure which one is God's. I know that world. I've been there. I still am there often. And I went through a huge journey in my 20s of discovering that my dreams of being a professional actress, once they came true, they really weren't enough to fulfill me. So if you're struggling to find the thing that is going to answer the deep desires of your heart, I know that and I totally hear you and I empathize. And I'm going to share the very best strategies that I have to discern well. So we'll touch on the roles of peace and surrender in the discernment journey, as well as my journey on reality television and how it really did help me find my vocation. And without any more chit chat, let's hop to it. Stacy, welcome to the show. Thank you, John. I'm really looking forward, as I'm sure all uh, the listeners are, to hearing about your your own story, your own uh, your own story. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Cut the part okay. off and keep going. You're not your nervous. Own, You're fine. Your own your own vocation story. Yeah, yeah. It's been a wild, crazy ride. So, what calls, Stacy, have you received from God in your life, and what did those calls look and feel like? I was from a military. I am from a military family, and we moved seven times. So, we lived in England, California, three places in Virginia, two in Maryland, I guess. And so, a lot of my young life was moving around, <clears throat> very very kind of transient, and I. When I was 12, I guess, 12 or 10, I think, I read The Story of a Soul by St. Teresa of Lisieux. And I, I always loved Jesus with a very simple faith when I was little. And I 
read the story of a soul and we had this big coffee table book of St. Therese's life. And then I used to look at the pictures of the little prayer altars that she used to build. And um, I loved everything about her. And I used to build little prayer altars in my in my room. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so I decided that I wanted to be a Carmelite nun like St. Therese. And I look back and I'm not sure if that was a call from God, really. Uh, given what I'm doing now, my involvement with the Carmelites for the last four years, it, it's its kind of amazing that that has been fulfilled. But I did feel a very, very strong desire to be a nun when I was 12. And I remember my grandma saying, oh, you'd be such a wonderful wife and mother. She was from Boston. And um, uh, But I, I was pretty set. I was pretty set on that till I was maybe 13 or so. And then... Was, was mm-hmm. this uh, a strong enough desire that like when, when somebody would ask you, what are you going to be when you grow up? Would that be the first answer that you would give? Yeah, yeah. I would tell people I wanted to be a Carmelite nun. And I'd not really seen nuns. I'd not really spent much time around them. There was a monastery of poor Clares near us where when, when we were growing up in our Virginia house, one of them. And we would go there sometimes for mass, and we would hear them singing, and they sounded like angels. And we would see them come up to the, the grill or the grail or what's called the, the rails, yeah, you know, the, for the communion. Grill, yeah. The grill. Yeah, and... So we get a little glimpse of them, but that's it. They were very, very strictly cloistered. Mm-hmm. And so that was really my only exposure of nuns to nuns. And my mom would always say like, oh, they're like angels. And, you know, and I always kind of thought, mm-hmm. oh, well, I I don't know if I could do that. You know, I'm not an angel. And um, so... I disagree. Oh, thank you. You're so sweet. But I guess when I was about 13, I that desire subsided a little bit. And I honestly didn't think of myself as being called to anything in particular. I knew that God had a plan for my life, but I think uh, I just, my early young teenage brain just wasn't able to really figure out what that call was going to look or feel like. I think if anything, it was going to be, I thought, like a voice in my head or mm, some kind sure. of a vision. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, my faith was strong, but it was definitely immature and needed a lot of purifying. So about 15, I fell in love with musical theater and I started to really love being on stage, and I loved the the feeling that I got from performing. I loved that performance high, and I fell in love with ballet. And I was I stopped going to school, and I went to um, I, I homeschooled eleventh grade so that I could dance three hours a day and join the ballet company at my studio, and was taking voice lessons. And I decided I wanted to be on Broadway. I wanted to sing and dance on Broadway. And that was going to be my plan for the next, I thought, the rest of my life. And I ended up going to college to study musical theater. I went to Catholic University of America. And it's funny because while I was there, I actually enjoyed my theology classes so much that I ended up picking up a minor in theology, which I didn't plan on doing. But uh, at the same time, I was still extremely driven for theater. So I think if you would ask me in college what my calls from God were, I would have said to be a Broadway performer. There was really nothing wrong with going for my dreams, but I think I just didn't really stop to ask God, you know, like, what do you want for my life? It was much more that I was calling myself to it without mm. really, mm-hmm. really, truly putting it at God's feet. Yeah. And you've, you've talked before about how... Uh, at their core, like our deepest desires are the same as God's desires mm. for us. Um, yeah, might be an obvious question, but uh, I don't know. How do you how do you see your own uh, discernment of theater life and religious life uh, through that 
lens or from that perspective. Mm. Yeah. So the analogy I like to use uh, is like in Shrek when he says, uh, ogres have layers. And I, I think of us as having layers as well. So we have kind of our outermost layers, which would be for physical desires, like a milkshake, which is kind of an ever-present desire for me, Oreo milkshake. And then underneath that, you've kind of got the desires for your state in life, you know, like, which is what I was pursuing. I was pursuing this dream of being in theater and thinking, you know, that that could make me happy. But underneath that, there's a deeper desire for relationship. And a lot of us think, a lot of us stop with human relationships with people. And unfortunately, those are also not going to fulfill us. And that's, I think, part of the reason the divorce rate is so high. It's really the the relationship with the ultimate person, the person who is all good, all knowing, all loving, and that's God. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of that core <clears throat> desire. So um, with that in mind, I would say that I was trying to make my desires for theater, which were not that core desire, fulfill me. So at what point in your theater career did you start to recognize the mm. the shallowness I guess of, mm -hmm. of those desires or Yeah, yeah, cuz I know I mean I'm I'm not saying that all theater performers are going for the wrong things, you know. It, sure. It's all about it's all about your faith life and and what really brings you fulfillment. And I was really looking for the applause and the proving to everyone that I was the best performer. I was seeking to be the best and the brightest. And uh and and so that was the flaw there. I so my theater career was going really well actually. I got a couple of professional gigs in in college um, in Washington D.C. and then a really good one at the Shakespeare Theater right after I graduated. And then I turned down a show at one of the best theaters in D.C. to go on the national tour of The Wizard of Oz. So my theater career was going great. I was riding this high and I went across the United States and Canada and toured to about seventy different cities for six months living in hotels, and I played the mayoress of Munchkinland. <laughs> do you want me to do the Munchkin voice? Yeah, please. Okay, so the mayoress is a role that is not in the movie, but the the mayor is, and they kind of uh, switched up the roles a little bit for the stage show. So the mayor comes up to Dorothy in Munchkinland, and he says, As mayor of the Munchkin city in the county of the land of Oz, I welcome you most regally. And I butted in, and I said, but we've got to verify it legally to see if she is morally, ethically, spiritually, physically, positively, absolutely, undeniably, and reliably dead. So there you have it. That's telling them. <laughs> That's right. Um, so I was a Marissa Bunchkin land. I was a poppy citizen of Oz, a flying monkey, and Glinda's understudy. And you're telling me that the flying monkey was not, in fact, your deepest desire? You know... Uh, for a long time, I really thought it was. <laughs> About the first 100 performances. <laughs> I was the one that swooped in and got Toto. So I was kind of living out my childhood nightmare because those flying monkeys in that movie are scary. So my theater career was going super well. And uh, I moved to New York City and... Then about a year and a half after moving there, I booked another Broadway tour and that was the... The, what am I saying? That was Beauty, Beauty, and Beast. Beauty and the Beast, you know, that that little show. And so I went on tour with Beauty and the Beast for a whole year. I was playing the baker's wife, the part at the beginning where the baker says, Marie, the baguettes, hurry up. That was me carrying those baguettes every night. And It's strange. I've actually told a couple people mm -hmm. about that role who have asked me about you, Stacey. And, uh, you know, I mentioned that you, you were on these tours and like everybody seems to actually know that role and they i'm always do. surprised it's right at the beginning of the movie 
Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. I've, I haven't seen the movie since I was like five, but... Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm always surprised and, and very pleased. I'm like, yeah, no, that was, that was actually her. That was... That was I know, I was Marie. I, I mean, Belle, step aside. <laughs> I beam with pride. <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, I was also a fork and a plate and a napkin, so... Um, yeah, that living somebody's dream of being a dancing place setting. And then also I was the understudy for Mrs. Potts in the wardrobe. And I so enjoyed many aspects of the tour, but while I was on the tour, I started to notice that I was getting really hungry inside and I felt this, this worm of discontent and it was kind of eating away at me. I noticed myself backsliding into many bad habits. I really had no support for my faith life. It was this unique situation because I was on a bus somewhere between six and 12 hours a day most days. And everyone around me was not someone that I got to choose to be around. I physically had no way of, of choosing the people who were with me um, and unless I left the tour. And I did stick with it for the entire year. But it became like torture eventually because there was there were just a lot of uh, a lot of wonderful people, but there was also a lot of drama, and I started to realize, you know, I'm not I'm just not happy. This isn't mm-hmm. this isn't fulfilling me. We were performing to crowds of two or three thousand people every night, sold out shows all over the place, and got to see a lot of the country, and I felt so ungrateful because I was living my dream. I was living a lot of people's dream. You know, in New York City, you go to auditions two two times a day, three times a day sometimes, and you're up against hundreds of people for maybe a dozen roles mm-hmm. at each of those auditions. So the fact that I was doing this was really incredible, mm-hmm. um, but I just wasn't happy. So I, I left, um, I, I finished up the show, got on a bus back to New York City, and I just had totally lost my mojo. And um, I don't know if anyone listening has ever been through an experience like this, but it was really embarrassing to not have that motivation anymore because I had told everybody, everybody knew me as the theater girl, you know, and, and everyone in my family was all asking me, you know, Hey, when's your next show? What are you, what are you up to? And I had no answer for them. And I actually turned down another national tour because I just couldn't bring myself to think about Mm -hmm. touring again across the country. So I I don't think I've ever asked you this before mm because I know kind of jumping a little bit ahead. I know that this kind of led you to, um, identify deeper desires eventually mm-hmm. that discontent but do you think that if uh, if it had really been a positive experience just uh, in terms of your relationship uh, with uh, other cast members and you know if they had been good people and you really enjoyed yourself do you think you would have gotten to that point um, at all eventually or mm, I think I would have gotten to that point eventually yeah I'm not sure how long it would have taken also, if I was a lead role, I don't know how long it would have taken because I would have had, you know, the the, the final bow and I would have had um, all of the glory of being, you know, th- mm-hmm. the main character. And mm-hmm. I probably would have been riding on that for a while, but I, I think I would have gotten there. I'm sure I would have gotten there eventually because no show can ever fulfill you and no applause can ever really fulfill you. Um, and I needed to go through that transformation um, of my of my mission in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. So I went back to New York and instead of going to auditions, I really started skipping them and just going to daily mass. There was a church about 10 minutes from my house that I would walk to. And I started to feel a real sense of peace at mass and not at, a, at my auditions. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's yeah. nothing, nothing wrong with a rebound relationship with God. <laughs> 
<laughs> that's kind of what he was. But you know, God God treats us so gently, and He gives us so many opportunities to come mm-hmm. to Him. Yeah, that was definitely His call. Yes, yes. So that call was the the peace, um, and that's kind of been the calling that I've. Uh, learned to follow is is a deep inner peace and where mm. there's an inner restlessness either uh, there's something wrong there and I have to go more deeply into that and examine what that is it's not saying automatically that it's wrong it's just um, when you have that that deep restlessness you can't deny it mm-hmm. so I was going to mass for about a month every day and skipping all my auditions and unsure of what I was doing. I was sitting there in my pajamas one Tuesday morning after going to mass and an email popped up in my inbox and it was from my friend Katie who lived in Los Angeles and she was trying to be a film actress, which I had never wanted to do. Theater was always my passion. And it was this random audition notice saying like, we're looking for young women, Catholic young women between the ages of 20 and 30, you know, just send us some information about yourself and a couple pictures. And my friend had sent it to me and said, like, hey, you should submit for this. You'd be perfect for it. And I was like, okay, I can do it in my pajamas. It's Tuesday, whatever. (laughs) So I went ahead and submitted. And they actually called me about an hour later and did a little phone interview. And then they said, oh, can we do a Skype interview? And I was like, okay. And so we did. And then I didn't hear anything for a month. And then they called me up and they were like, hey, so can we send cameras to your house? We're we're doing um, a reality TV show about young women who are thinking about becoming nuns. And, you know, we'd like to see if you'd like to be featured on that. And at the time when I heard that, I was kind of like, okay, this is really, really funny that they're, they're bringing up the nun thing because I had been reading this book that my mom had given me, which she had been trying to convince me to read it for years, and I finally did. It's called The Ear of the Heart by Mother Dolores Hart. And did you ever see Dolores Hart in movies? I have, yeah. Is the title of the book spelled just like H-A-R-T? Ear of the Heart? E-A-R-T. H-E-A-R-T. That's that's cool. (laughs) Yeah, but it's still a cool play on words when you say it. How did she not think of that? (laughs) What a disaster. She's had this name her whole life. (laughs) Uh, So Dolores Hart, um, do you know know who she was? I do. She Mm -hmm. was Elvis's first on-screen kiss. Yep, yep. She's a a beautiful young actress in the 50s, I guess. Yeah, she was really the it girl of the 50s. She ended up leaving to become a Benedictine nun. She left the theater and film world. I think she was 24 and she was actually engaged. And she went to the, the convent and never left. So she's a cloistered Benedictine nun. And I was reading her book. And she also loved St. Therese like I did. And I felt a lot of affinity with her. And so it's really funny that all these things were coinciding. And so I just was open. I was at a point in my life where I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I remembered back to my my younger days when I did want to be a nun. And there was still this feeling of like, this couldn't be me. You know, mm-hmm. there's, there's no way. But at the same time, I was like, well, what I wanted didn't work out. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it did, but it, it didn't in the bigger sense. So, yeah, I, yeah. I guess it's, you know, probably safe to say that in 2000 years of church history, you're the first person to, you know, have their vocation discernment initiated by a TV show, <laughs> which is really cool. And it seems, it seems strange, but I don't know. I just thought of the comparison. Um, it's almost like a blind date with God. Like most, hmm. most people kind of approach uh, discernment and dating God. Like they'll stalk him on Facebook for a while and, you know, look at him on the other side of the class and dream about him and stuff like that. And then finally they'll, like pop the question and go visit uh, a monastery or a convent. Um, but with you, it's, it seems like it kind of 
came to you. It was、mm. like somebody, one of your friends invited you, and they were like,、yep. Hey, you want to come meet this guy? And you're like, Let's see where this goes. <laughs> I like that analogy. I never thought of it that way, but God definitely, definitely pursued me. He waited for me for a long time, and then he really pursued me. And the other funny thing about this reality show audition is that it wasn't even really an audition. I never left my house for this, for this show. I was, so they sent cameras to my house and just put me on tape. And I didn't, I was laughing beforehand and afterwards. I was, I was not taking it seriously, really. I just thought, you know, I was kind of thinking like, I, I have no investment in this working out. Whereas I had gone, I had been so serious for so many years about studying theater. I had wanted it so badly. And I'd go into every audition thinking, this is going to be it. This is going to be the audition that makes me a star. You know, and then this, for this reality show, I just didn't even, I just didn't want it really. And, you know, it was kind of, it was one of those things where it was like so out of the blue and off the wall. And yeah, I was like, this would be hilarious if I ended up getting it.、Um, and I did. <laughs>、uh, but only about six months later. And so you really、mm-hmm. kind of kind of plopped into this situation and、mm-hmm. uh, left to, to really kind of learn to discern、yes. as fast as possible. What, what was that process like? And、mm-hmm. how, what was the discernment like、um, once you kind of found your feet beneath you? Yeah, great question. So, besides going to daily mass, I needed to find a spiritual director. And I had another really cool set of circumstances, which is unusual. I found this、uh, community on Long Island, which unfortunately I don't think the community exists anymore. It was called Domus Porta Fide, and it was at the Seminary of the Immaculate Conception on Long Island. So, this was, I went out there with、uh, actually a guy that I ended up briefly dating because I didn't want to admit that I was discerning religious life and、uh, finally broke up with him to discern. But he had a friend on Long Island and,、uh, who was living in this community. So, the two of us went out there to visit it together. And I totally fell in love with this place. I cannot tell you how beautiful it was. Once again, this was God just pursuing me and just drawing me in with peace and beauty. It was on 220 acres of, of beautiful, beautiful woods, and the Long Island Sound was right there.、Um, I mean, it was this enormous, gorgeous building with years and years and years of church history. So I was so excited when I found that place. And I left, I, I made the definitive move to leave New York City. It was about an hour and a half commute into the city. So I was really saying a fin- kind of a definite no for now to all of my theater dreams by going out there. And I just felt such a lack of peace dating this young man who I was dating at the time. And I, I broke it off very quickly. So, I, I was really, really free, you know, free to discern God's will. And so, I just had this opportunity to really be in like this little,、um, this little incubator where my faith got to grow stronger and I got to be shut out from all of the voices that took me away from, from God. And I started to really draw closer to Him. And I didn't hear any voices speaking to me, I just felt a peace in my heart. And a great nervousness as well, because I could tell that there was something, there were going to be some earth shattering things that were going to happen. I wasn't just going to be floating along and going along like I was before. So I had already moved out to this community and made this life change when I got a call shortly after I moved there that they were inviting me to be on the TV show. And they told me it was going to be on the Lifetime Network. And, you know, I don't know how many shows are pitched to, to TV networks. I do not know how all that stuff works. But the fact that, The TV show even made it out of 
the phase of like auditioning and putting together a pilot reel is kind of incredible. So yeah, it was God all the way, you know, just orchestrating all of these crazy things in my life. And I went through a discernment of whether or not to even do the TV show because I did not own a TV. I didn't watch reality TV, but I knew, you know, I knew like Jersey Shore and like Dance Moms and, you know, shows like that. I, I knew about Two their reputation. Favorites. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, you and I together <laughs> binge watching. No, John, <laughs> you're like the least reality TV show watcher I can think of. That wasn't that wasn't very smart. We're, we're going to edit that out. <laughs> Good call. <clears throat> so they don't, they don't have to know that I don't watch reality TV. That's true. They'd think better of you if you did, yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah. I so. Yeah. So I didn't really care about being on reality TV, but I kind of felt really drawn to this. And my mom was super nervous, as as she should have been, that I was going to be on a reality TV show. And she said, you know, Stacy, somebody is going to do this show. They're going to find somebody. Why does it have to be you? And my poor mother, because her words had the opposite effect of what she intended, because I would say that that was a call right there. I, I felt this this kind of finality in my heart. And I was like, you know what? Somebody is going to do this show. Why not me? Because if not me, then somebody else who isn't discerning is, you know, may do it. So I went ahead and committed to it. And I'm, I'm so glad I did. It, it, it turned out it turned out really well. I think I ended up looking a little bit dorky, but nothing worse than that. <laughs> <laughs> dorky at times. Um, but I, I also did want to make sure that I got a genuine discernment experience. So I went ahead and wrote to the Little Sisters of the Poor. A few people had recommended them to me, and they were amazing. I went for a weekend visit off camera before I even went on the show because I wanted to make sure I didn't mess up my my experience of, of genuine discernment. And stayed with them for a weekend and was kind of hoping that I would just get my answer. And God was like, no, I want you to do this show because I actually felt this this deep draw in my heart towards the elderly that I worked with on, in that weekend. And I could just see their, these people who the world had really forgotten, who looked shriveled and old, but, you know, they, they had incredible stories and wisdom. And, you know, they treated me like, like, the star that I had thought that I was going to become mm-hmm. on stage, you know, it, mm, it was this, cool. yeah, it was this real, this real communion of, um, of spirit with them. And so I left that weekend more scared than ever, but mm-hmm. also very excited that, that I was really kind of onto something. Yeah. Some, some people would, uh, categorize, uh, discerners, anybody as mm-hmm. either being type A or type B and mm-hmm. with discernment, I think that could, um, really manifest itself uh, in your case. I think it does like, you know, uh, going going for a weekend retreat and hoping that you'd have an answer mm-hmm. by the end of it, um, mm-hmm. but really intentionally like taking a step forward, uh, you know, taking a step and and finding out maybe later if it was forward or not. But mm-hmm. um, I think maybe maybe a more common method of discernment is to to in the opposite extreme kind of just sit back and listen mm-hmm. and wait wait mm-hmm. for a call. And I think to really discern well, you probably have to, to find a, a balance there. What do you think? Yeah, I absolutely agree. I'm super type A. Um, I think you're probably pretty strongly type B, and you were very much, you took action and you visited conv- uh, convents, monasteries when you were discerning, but you were also very 
you're very content to kind of wait on God and it didn't drive you crazy. I struggle with patience so much as a type A person. Mm-hmm. I really want the answer quickly and I'm very much a person of action. Um, and I've never quite connected with or understood the people who are like, oh, you know, I'm just going to keep discerning and maybe in a, mm-hmm. a year or two I'll visit. I'm like, no, no, do sure, it now. Sure. <laughs> just just for the record, I'm actually uh, type O negative. So <laughs> what were some of the greatest obstacles in your discernment that you faced on the show or yeah. afterwards? Yeah, so uh, being type A was both a, a blessing and a curse in terms of discernment because God teaches you things in His time, not in your time. And we always want His voice to speak and to know His will. Uh, another another obstacle with being type A, I think, is that I, I did very well in school because I really like grades. I liked achieving that A and studying for the test and getting all the answers right and I think we touched on this briefly with Mike Creevy with his episode, which was episode three or two. Goodness, I can't remember. But I... It's two. Good good memory. I was looking for kind of this giant answer sheet in the sky where I would know this one perfect path that God had for me and... I would follow that and I would be perfect. And I would not only be, you know, I would be a perfect saint. And it doesn't really work like that many times in the spiritual life. I think that God does want us to choose to take responsibility for our choices, even though he does have plans and he will draw us in the right direction. It's less of a, I have one specific plan and you either get an A or a B or a C and much more like I want to be with you. I want to be. Ha- mm-hmm. I want you to be happy with me. I want to have a relationship with you first and foremost. So uh, that was a lesson that took me a very long time to learn. Mm, sure. Another obstacle for me was the the investment that I had in my own happiness. I really wanted to be happy. I was very very scared of God asking me to do something that I didn't want to do. And going along with being type A, you know, I, I love to have control. Mm-hmm. I love to be the one calling the shots. And and being in theater, while it was frustrating because it was out of my control, there was a lot that I could control still. And a lot of ways in which I could work on myself and get better. And, and you know, I had a strong work ethic where I would always work really hard mm-hmm. and achieve. But it doesn't really work that way with discernment. Yeah, so, in this the, instance, it was, it was an obstacle. Yeah. The end of discernment seems to kind of be surrender. Yes. That's like the ultimate answer to yes. the discernment question. And yes. uh, I, I imagine it's, you know, especially hard for a type A person to get there. Yes. And that's kind of one of the things that I tell everybody is, um, you know, the, the, the calls of our life are really just uh, surrender and relationship and, and mm. peace. Mm-hmm. And getting to that point where I was willing to hand over my future and my life to God. Yeah. Yeah. And give him even just that fear, you know. Um, yeah. Sure. So it sounds like for you, obviously, the, the TV show was a really genuine experience, mm. discernment experience. Do you do you think it was for the other girls? Um, did any of them end up uh, going to the convent or, mm-hmm. you know, staying there? Yeah. So, I can't speak for everybody, but I know in particular, uh, Christy, she did go to the convent. She ended up being kind of my, my best friend on the show, if you want to say that or whatever. And she ended up being my bridesmaid later. <laughs> and she, she and I were, we really connected very quickly. And she went to the second convent on the, the TV show, The Daughters of St. Mary of Providence in Chicago, and stayed for about six months. And then she did feel called away as well. And now she's married. And I need to call her and get her on this show. <laughs> so short answer, no. Long answer, yes. And then no. 
<laughs> yes, correct. And then Claire, um, Claire definitely was earnestly discerning. She'd been discerning for years. And I think she really thought she was called to be a nun. She really did. But she ended up becoming a consecrated single person, which mm-hmm. is a mm-hmm. vocation that not many people talk about. But she's pursuing pursuing that. I think you have to be under the jurisdiction of the bishop of your area. And you actually, uh, there are rules to being a consecrated single person and she's a music director at a parish i believe in phoenix arizona and she's doing really well she and i were just texting last week oh awesome yeah so i know i know in particular their discernment was was very earnest um i haven't really kept in touch with isini but francesca de paula who uh i think she is pursuing an acting career in new york right now or she was as of last report, but she actually ended up coming to one of the mission programs that I coordinate with mm, the Carmelite sisters. Right. Mm-hmm. I got to meet her in Ireland. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she's, she's a sweetheart. She loves the Carmelite sisters. So she's kept in touch with them and, you know, we'll see down the road if she has a vocation, but mm-hmm. she was, she and Isini were like 21 and 23, which I know back in the olden days, you would have been, you know, very much in the convent or married or whatever by then but nowadays it's quite unusual to have found Mm -hmm. your your real ultimate calling by that age sure so you say often that uh, everyone should discern religious life yeah uh why why do you think that is Great question. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying my chat with John. If you're a young woman ages 18 through 40 and you think that God may be calling you to religious life, or if you're just seeking your purpose, or if you know a young woman who's seeking her purpose, I want to recommend checking out the SALT program that I mentioned earlier. SALT, you know, like salt of the earth. In episode four of Called and Caffeinated, I interviewed Sister Mary and Sister Peter, who are two of the Carmelite sisters for the aged and infirm, who have spent the last four years building up this mission program with me. At SALT, we spend a week giving our time and our talent to the elderly in nursing homes. We design activities like giving manicures or having a happy hour that are fun and they're so meaningful for those whom our society so often forgets. It's really another way to be pro-life by serving at SALT. Our missionaries also report that one of their favorite parts is just spending one-on-one time with the residents and hearing their incredible, life-changing stories. Now, if the idea of being in a nursing home scares you, because I know it doesn't sound like fun, let me tell you, my life has been changed and every one of our missionaries' lives have been drastically changed and bettered by serving with this program to the elderly. If cost is an issue for you, you're gonna be happy to know that SALT is entirely free of charge. That's right, zero dollars. You literally have to pay only for your travel and the sisters take care of the rest. I've invested so many hours of my life and my passion into this program and I believe in its ability 100% to help you hear God's voice in your life and to grow in every relationship in your life. So back to the episode. I think when you discern religious life, you start to realize that you're not really ultimately in the driver's seat. It's God. And it always has been. But we get into this inflated sense, especially in the, in Western culture where we have so much and so many options. We get in this mode that, you know, I need to go for my dreams and it's all about me mm-hmm. and about my happiness. And when you put God in the driver's seat, regardless of whether or not you're called to religious life, he is going to be in the driver's seat th- for the rest of your life as mm-hmm. long as you, you recognize the truth and the goodness of that and you keep him there. So... No matter what your vocation is, uh, you have nothing, absolutely nothing to lose by discerning religious life. And I'll link to a blog post I wrote about that in the show notes. And I feel very passionately about this because I think a lot of our young people today are not encouraged to discern religious life 
because it's it's even even in in Catholic families, it's seen as a little bit weird, or maybe the parents don't want to lose, you know, quote unquote, lose their children to religious life or the priesthood. They want grandkids. I think the encouragement and the visibility, especially of nuns, is not there. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't ever remember seeing a monk growing up. I saw a few nuns. Mm-hmm. Didn't ever see a monk. Saw a lot of priests, and they were they were very good family friends of ours. Right. Mm-hmm. But I, I always say that everyone should discern. Um, and in my own experience, I really needed that experience of being humbled, of my dreams making me uh, not being able to fulfill me in order to to find that mm-hmm. to su- surrender and and go go to God and, and ask Him what He wanted. Right. And I do want to recommend. Um, there's another blog post I'll link to as well, which has this prayer of surrender. So I was confessing to a priest. Um, who ironically, this is, I don't know if you knew this, he, uh, it was the priest who ended up marrying us. He, Father Brigida. Yeah, yeah. I was confessing to him my fear oh, right. of discerning I, religious I life. Actually. Yeah, yeah. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> Father, so Father Brigida, who is a wonderful priest in my parents' diocese, ended up uh, giving me this prayer of surrender. And he said, pray this slowly every day. And I did. And it gives every part of yourself over to God. And I'd never done anything like that before. I'd always kind of given God what I wanted to give him, but I'd never really given him all of me. Mm-hmm. And that was hugely, hugely transformative because whatever one or two or three things that I was having trouble really surrendering to God, it was like I could feel it. I could I could viscerally feel the the tension kind of trying myself trying to hold back from God. And mm-hmm. the waterworks would turn on and I'd be doing ugly cries in the chapel. But it was those moments of honesty where I was struggling, but God was very gentle with me and and sort of came to me slowly. And once I'd been praying that prayer for a couple of weeks, slowly every day, I started to notice a change and I started to notice that the prayer overall became easier and that when I would surrender those things that were hard, little things would start to happen that would give me affirmation that that was the right thing. Or I would leave the chapel with such a sense of peace that I had received more than I had given. And that that was really, uh, really incredible. And I started to just follow that. You know, I started to just take little, little steps, praying that prayer of surrender. Um, the trans really, I did have a, a moment a time when I really, really started to hear God speak to me. It was a big breakthrough. And I'm so fortunate that I had this experience, but I would also encourage anyone listening who is waiting for that vision or waiting for God to just give them a sign, I would encourage you to not wait for a moment like this because it is a gift. It is a gift and it has sustained me through many, many situations ever since. But God can work in so many ways that, you know, I just want to make that disclaimer. Every day we did a holy hour. And I was sitting there and struggling, praying my prayer of surrender. Then we had Mass, and I received the Eucharist. And there was this this picture of Jesus that I started to see, and it kind of almost came to life in front of my eyes, if you want to put it that way. And it was this picture of Jesus that I kept by my bed. He, he just has very sympathetic, compassionate, loving eyes um, looking at you and and sort of just imploring you to to look at him as well. And he's holding his heart out to you. And in this particular prayer experience, it was as if Christ was truly present in front of me, actually handing me his heart. And I, I started to understand and recognize that he wanted to give me the very best part of himself, you know, the most perfect and loving heart in the entire universe that ever existed. And I was overwhelmed. And I, I was like, you want me to take your heart? And, and he said, yes. 
And so I took his heart and held it in my hand. And I was like, okay, well, what do I do with it? And he said, well, could you take yours out and put mine where yours used to be? Very gently. And it, in this particular prayer experience, it was as though I could open like a little door in my chest and, and take my heart out and put his in. And I took my heart out and it was hard and gray and stony and it was just not at all like a heart should look. And I put his heart where mine used to be and, and I closed the door and it was just, I could feel the warmth of it spreading out through my whole body. And it was, it was absolutely incredible to know that like Christ has given me his heart. And I'm there holding my heart and I'm like, oh, what, what do I do with this? And he said, may I have it, please? And, you know, when I think about that, he could have demanded that and everything from me, whatever he wanted, because he's, you know, Jesus, <laughs> he made me. But he asked me in a very gentleman-like way, may I have it, please? So he wasn't going to demand it from me. And and I was like, you, you really want this? And he said, yes, I do. So I was like, okay, here you go. And I gave it to him. And he put my heart where his used to be. And I think the gift of that has stayed with me so strongly because I recognize that no matter what happens in the rest of life, I'm called to belong to Jesus first and foremost, and he has given himself to me. So when I say that our three calls are surrender, relationship, and peace, relationship is is that relationship of belonging and commitment and the relationship in which we receive so much more than we give. I mean, we give all of ourselves and we receive the whole world, you know, the whole yeah. universe. It's it's sure. really amazing. I took that at the time as a call to religious life because I thought, you know, what could be more clear than a call to belong to Christ? And I kept looking out for more signs and I, I kept investing more and more in my prayer life. And really for the first time it was, I'd been Catholic my whole life, but it was as if I understood finally that Christ really truly is listening and he cares more about my happiness than I do. And it, it I could finally just ab- abandon myself to him in a way that I had never been able to do before. So I was, you know, riding high on all the graces and, and the love <laughs> from him. And I know that sounds really, I don't know, that sounds weird, but it, I really was. It doesn't. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. It it was a beautiful, beautiful time of life. And we, we filmed for probably 12 hours a day. And there were a lot of stressful, difficult moments. There were a lot of uh, tensions that, you know, that built up as the, the process went on. But I did have a really deep peace inside for everything that was happening. So the the show finished filming. And I had told my family on national television that I was going to be becoming a nun. And so I went back to New York, started packing my bags, and I wasn't actually packing at that point. I was more talking to the vocation director and and writing out my official application and so forth. And as I was talking to her, once again, I experienced that lack of peace. And as we were talking and she was telling me all of the things about, about entering, and she mentioned that, you know, you need to grieve the children that you will never have and the husband that you will never have. And I thought... Oh, no, that doesn't sound very good at all. I don't like that idea. And But I would go in the chapel and I'd say, okay, God, whatever you want, whatever you want me to do. And I would wait to hear his voice and I'd say, God, what do you want me to do? And he would say, do you know how much I love you? And I was like, okay, thank you. But what am I supposed to do here? And I just kept waiting for an official, like, you know, my type A 
personality was waiting for that that definitive sign and it, it never came and so that was very tough and confusing and I would do a lot of cries of frustration and I started to feel this desire to be married and and be a wife and a mother. And I think the reality of realizing that I was really going to give up those things started causing me a whole, a whole lot of um, consternation. And so as those desires grew, but I also wanted to belong to God and I was willing to go to the convent, I started to get more and more frustrated And then finally, I don't know if this is what you're supposed to do necessarily, but finally I said to God, okay, I'm, I'm going to give you one more month. And, uh, and I was talking to my spiritual director through all of this and continuing to go to daily mass. And if you don't give me a definitive call, if you don't change my heart and my desires to want to go to the convent, then I'm just going to be open to dating again. And it's not a definitive, you know, I'm going to be married, but I'll just be open to dating. And I did that. And by the end of the month, I wanted more than ever to be married and have a family. So that was how I knew what I was called to before I even met you. And uh, a couple thoughts to finish up on that are that God, I think there's a lot more room for choice in our vocation than we want to at first admit to ourselves. Mm -hmm. Because as we've said, there's not that answer sheet in the sky. It's much more of um, our responsibility to choose than yeah. we would like to, to think. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, God God seems to delight in you choosing him, especially when, uh, when you don't really know how to do it and you're just kind of making a stab in the dark mm-hmm. for, for God. I think he really loves that. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much, Stacey, for... Uh, sharing your story with mm-hmm. with me and everyone it was good to hear it again yeah and uh that's that's all folks <laughs> yeah I'm anyone go to bed now. <laughs> okay anyone out there who is who is discerning a religious vocation just know that god will not waste your time he is going to do so many incredible things with whatever time you give him and there is so much leeway for error, as long as you're trying to stay close to him, as long as you're really, really trying and listening for his voice in your life, he's mm-hmm. not going to let you go wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, I always worried about just missing my vocation and totally going off the yeah. wrong path. And God will not let that happen to right. you as long as you're trying to stay close to him. Yeah, just don't even worry about your your past choices. Mm-hmm. Like, just focus on every moment. Like, focus on God and mm-hmm. just direct yourself to him. Somebody told me... Uh, I knew a guy who used to work at a golf course. He would, uh, you know, mow the mow the fairways, and he said that the trick to it is actually like you keep your eyes on a certain point mm. in the distance, and that's how you, you mow in a straight line. Mm. If you look back at where your line has been, you're gonna go off off path. Or if you look like ten feet ahead, you're gonna go off path. You have to look in the distance at a fixed thing, like God, mm. if he's a thing, and uh, and that's. You know, that's the only way to to really draw a straight line to him. Yeah. And there's so much you can do now to start preparing for your vocation, no matter what that vocation is. Um, You can really live intentionally and decide what kind of a Christian you're going to be, what kind Mm -hmm. of a person you're going to be. Because Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times, I know I fell into this big time when I was waiting to meet you, I would fall into the trap of comparing myself to other people and why hasn't it happened yet and getting into a pity party and you know, 
thinking, oh, every time I met a guy, I was like, is he, is he the one? Is he the one? I really approached it from the wrong way. If I could go back and do it again, I would just be at peace knowing that God is going to bring someone to me who is incredible. A hunk. Absolute hunk. <laughs> In every way. Mm-hmm. And then you also can ask God, you can just tell him, like, I'm, I feel like I'm drowning here. I need to know your love for me. Mm-hmm. And he started sending me little things, like random little things that would happen throughout the day just to tell me he loved me. And like, there was a, f- a phase I went through where I would ask him to show him his, lo- to show me his love. And I would just see hearts everywhere, like little, like a leaf that happened to be in the shape of a heart or a heart shaped like smudge on the wall or something like that. And it wasn't that I was specifically looking for hearts. They just, that's how they, you know, that's how I saw them. And yeah, it was really cool. I think um, if we think of God as like so far away from us, it becomes really hard. Um, But you know, even in our long distance relationships are tough. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. I hate long distance relationships. So, you know, you can write in your journal to God. You can have a date night with God. I used to do this a lot. Not a lot, but, uh, you know. uh, There was that one time. (laughs) There was that one. No, I did this a bunch of times where I would invite Jesus to go for a walk with me and just realizing I'm not alone. I can actually talk to him. And and it's, it's okay to be physically alone right now because I really do have him at all times. And then sometimes I would even... Um, cause I've gone through a lot of self-image struggles and sometimes my self-confidence would really be low when I was, you know, if I didn't have anybody asking me out on dates or didn't have anybody to give me that attention that I wanted. And so I would really turn to Jesus for that. And I would maybe stay home and cook myself a really nice dinner, watch a movie and like, just invite Jesus into that. I'd write him a letter. I would, I would pray beforehand and afterward, and I would just yeah, I would have date night with Jesus. And it was um, some of the most, yeah, some of the most fulfilling nights. It, it wasn't like crazy party or whatever, but I had such a sense of peace, mm-hmm. really deep peace. Awesome. So follow the things that, that give you peace, whatever those are. And it's usually not the easy things. It's mm-hmm. usually things that take effort to get started, but after you finish them, you're like, Oof, that was awesome. Mm-hmm. Whether that's committing to, you know, working out several days a week or, reading the bible i'm trying to read the bible in a year mm, yeah yeah and it's it's going well so far ish except that <laughs> when i choose to like watch some a movie instead of reading my my bible for the day i don't have as much peace as when i do commit to those God those still doesn't smite you or he hasn't yet he hasn't yet it's amazing yeah i'm still here yep he smites <laughs> you with dirty diapers in the morning he sure does the 5 a.m wake up calls but fortunately, God also invented coffee, so mm. we're we're still alive, still kicking. And with that, I will let you go to bed, my love. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for for all of that, uh, for listening so patiently. Thank you so much for the conversation, Stacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and sharing uh, sharing a drink with me. Yeah, it was wonderful. Okay, sleep well, sweetheart. You too. Pleasant dreams. Angels watch over you and sing you beautiful songs. Sleep, sweet dreams. Sleep well. I love you. That was a lot of fun, and I hope it gave value to your life. Have you left a review and rating on iTunes yet? I'm just going to keep putting that out there. Friendly reminders for you. If you follow the show and you think that others could benefit from hearing about how to follow God's will, I would really appreciate if you could pass it on to them. 
Thank you so much. I'll be back soon. You are called, so stay caffeinated and stay awake to hear the Lord's voice. God bless.